He says, Ray, you need to talk to Edgar Mitchell, right? And uh, he says, I volunteered to be your scientific advisor because you were given a mission. And I was like, what mission? You know, Ray, you were told specifically what you needed to do. So I'm here to give my services, you know, to help you out as, as a scientific advisor. And so he gave me Edgar Mitchell's telephone number. He told me to call him up. And I was like, I knew Edgar Mitchell, his name, because I'd written all these UFO books and Edgar was very, very famous, you know, and also the consciousness research. Edgar was the one that started the Institute of Noetic Sciences, which is now the world's leading academic research institute that has studied the sci phenomenon. Okay. You got to accentuate the positive. Wow! I feel good. A little bit of feel good goes a long way. You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just bad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? Welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. Always a blessing to be with you all. And the cat is jumping on me. As soon as I start the recording, the cat wants to jump on me. <laughs> Look, he's back in the house today. We have the wonderful Ray Hernandez. Welcome to the show, Ray. Thank you for the invitation, Karen. It's a pleasure. Ray and I had a chat at the end of last year. I think Ray was the last show I did for 2021. We did a live uh, talking about your experiences and how you got into this work. So we won't go over that today. We're here to talk about the new book and what's been happening since then. And uh, we were just chatting before I turned on the recording about Australia and how Ray has been down under to speak in Brisbane and he met Mary and um, we'll get into that a bit later. Okay. But let's have a, I'll just read a little bit of your bio for people that don't know you. I'm sure most people do. In 2012, Ray and his wife personally witnessed a miraculous medical healing of their paralyzed dog by an energy being who appeared in their living room. Over the next three years, Ray began to have a series of nonstop paranormal experiences. Large UFOs randomly appeared to him or them. And they later began to call down large UAPs, which stands for unidentified aerial. Well, I'll, I'll give phenomena. you a better. I'll give you a better name. Uh-huh. Um, CAP, consciousness aerial phenomenon. Love it. It's 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 a term that I introduced in my book because these are consciousness based uh, experiences. The U the the UAPs or UFOs, whatever people have been calling them. So I figured let's give it what it really is. It's a that's consciousness given. based on And that's what my book is all about. I go into all the details as to uh, why all of the paranormal, like we have in that background picture that you have, all of them need to be studied as one integrated phenomenon. So well, we'll, we'll, we'll go about the, those details. We'll go into it. But, you know, in truth, life is a consciousness-based experience, right? Yes, all yes, our reality. All, all of our reality. All our reality. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Correct. So some appearing in the distance and less, and some less than 30 feet away. Since then, Ray has teamed up with PhD academics and medical doctors, and they have dedicated their lives to studying the relationship between consciousness and contact modalities. So you have been the director or are currently the director of the Consciousness and Contact Research Institute, or CCRI. 
uh, as an academic research institute comprised of more than 25 PhD academics, medical doctors and researchers who are on a mission to explore this new paradigm that seeks to integrate the findings of consciousness research and the phenomena of extraordinary experiences. I think this is so important. You know, this week we've had the um, Queen of England leave the planet and I've been watching all the pomp and ceremony that's going on around the planet <laughs> and it's fascinating. It's a theatre, I tell you, everything's scripted, everything that everybody says they're reading yes, from a it's... script, I find really interesting. Nobody is actually speaking from their heart. They're reading their speeches, which I find yeah. very interesting. But as I'm watching, <laughs> I'm thinking, it's so archaic. You know, when are we going to move into a new time where... Yeah. Anyway, it's been really interesting. People are loving it, though, all this pomp and ceremony. And you've previously <laughs> been the founder of... I, 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 I find it, you know, comical, you know. <laughs> yeah. Because exa exactly what you said, you know, it's like it's like uh, the new King Charles now is like struggling to come out with some tears, you know. It was, um, <laughs> uh, as you I said, think, it, everything is, 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 I mean, everything has been scripted. Just speak mm -hmm. from your damn heart. Choose your mother, you know. Right. That's it exactly what I thought yeah, that's exactly yeah. what I thought every speech it is like this yeah this reading from a piece of paper I, and is anyone going to stand up there and just speak from their heart and talk yeah anyway that's what yeah. I thought I but you know for somebody that's been speaking to people for over 30 years and I never script anything I I, I yeah. wonder when it's such a personal thing you can't anyway well th that's what i did with the book when i started the book i said holy cow what am i going to do here i am i'm writing the introduction uh -huh. to like the world's most complex topic right. you know which very few people understand and and even if you do understand it these are not easy topics to consume and here i am i'm writing the introduction for that what the hell i'm going to do and i said what the hell i'm not going to write an outline i'm just going to write <laughs> you know right. and, and 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 that's what i did and and actually what came to me uh well we could talk about that uh, the introduction is blah 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 you know uh, <laughs> ray hernandez is an experiencer he has all these academic backgrounds and and then he began to have all these crazy experiences and then ray began to ask what the you know happened to me you know and and so um, me being an academic and having an academic background i said okay let's see what you know has been written academically ab about what was happening to me and what I discovered, at least uh, in terms of the UFO aspects of it, nothing, nothing has been written about it academically. What you had was a, a million and one books written by experiencers, but um, but they were all different. You know, <laughs> each experience was so different, you know, and so we're back to square one, you know. Uh, that's well, that's Ray Hernandez. I began to ask questions. That's how all of this started. Yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of this work. As I was, you know, reading your bio this morning, just to get familiar with it, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, the world, you know, watching all this pomp and ceremony on the television, the world really needs that science-based, uh, you know, idea to really think about this stuff in a serious way because. It's not yeah. okay that there are millions of people across the world talking about their experiences. People in the public eye still go, eh, they're just making it up. You know, yeah. but when you, when you've got PhD scientists and doctors saying, oh, we did a double blind study or whatever, yeah. you know, people start going, oh, maybe this is real. So, yeah. And, and, and also, also, Karen, as you know, you ask someone, or say, maybe you haven't had anything, but I want you to go back and ask all of your friends, and all of your close relatives, whether they've had 
and had a body experience, right. a near-death experience? Have they seen UFOs? Have they seen deceased people? You know, and define these things so they know what these terms mean and everything. And I said, okay, I want to call you back in a week, but I don't want no BS. I want you to really, you know, make an effort to it. And all of a sudden, they're like, oh my God, I didn't know that my mother this, that my sister that, my sister saw a ghost. It's like everybody has a story, uh, knows someone that has a story, okay? So maybe you didn't have it, but maybe your sister did. Maybe your parents did, you know? These uh, experiences are part of our natural reality, but because of the stigma, you know? Like, you know, with the with the death of the queen, you know, the stigma is you got to read the script. You got to lay this way, you know, that's that that's yeah. the law, you know, so many so the, rules to follow. So, many so the, 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 the law here is for you to be quiet. Don't talk about it because then they'll think you're crazy because that's how they used to treat a lot of people. And they still do, you know, that you go to a psychiatrist because you're hearing voices, you're seeing ghosts and spirits, you're popping out of your body. And all of a sudden, you, you know, they give you a psychological test, which I did. Okay. And I filled right. it out and they said, oh, you know, you're a psychotic, you know, you're, yes. you're, you're, you're hearing voices, you're seeing dead people, you're going out of your body. You're a crazy madman. Here's some pills to take, you know? Yeah. And then when you go into the internet, you research these pills. It's like, it makes you I don't know if people here have seen that movie, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, you know, mm-hmm. um, that won several uh, Academy Awards, which is a wonderful picture with uh, uh, Danny DeVito and that wonderful actor uh, that's gotten Jack, several Academy Awards. Jack, Jack Nicholson. Nicholson. Yeah, mm-hmm. Jack Nicholson. So uh, it's like it's going to turn me into Danny DeVito, you know. <laughs> and so no way I take these pills because my wife is having the same thing. My daughter is having, you know, similar experiences. So my entire family cannot be psychotic at the same time and and then once i got into the work that i'm doing you realize that there are literally millions of people all over the world that are having these types of uh, extraordinary experiences but in reality they're, they're normal experiences that people just don't talk about uh, absolutely well we talk about it i mean you and i i, mean, yeah, I talk yeah. about it. i talk about it every week i talk about it on the shows i talk about it with all my clients i've got a client who has comes from a conservative family in England and she's back at home now, but she went on a long journey and had all these amazing psychic experiences, but her parents think she's psychotic, just like you said. And yeah. anyway, so I said to her, we're doing some sessions to bring her, you know, to integrate it all, bring her down to earth and get her all straight. I said, I want to speak to your parents because they want her to go to see a psychiatrist. You know, they want to lock her up. Yeah. And they, um, they, they, they need to read those books that we publish. It's a, uh, volume one and volume two are available for ten dollars each on Kindle, you know, well, and then I'll they'll see all it. the PhDs, all the PhDs. They could go I will, to the, yeah, I will yeah. tell them about it because I'm gonna. I said to my client that I want to speak to your parents because I want to explain to them what's happening to you in a in a language that they can understand. Yeah, um, and um, I will tell them about the books. They can read. Yeah, the they, they could go yeah. to the website. Um, mm-hmm. It's agreaterreality.com, agreaterreality.com. And we've got pictures of all the academics with their titles and backgrounds and all the articles that they wrote for the book. So you don't even have to buy the book. Just go into that website and you could you could see that we've got you know, physicists, theoretical physicists, astrophysicists, neuroscientists, we got brain surgeons, you know, um, you you name it, you know, um, a PhD in biochemistry, tons of medical doctors, professors, we got three professors in medical schools, okay, that have written articles for for our book. So they're all talking about the same thing. They're, They're talking about consciousness, and what is the nature of our reality? 
you know, and they're all saying the same thing. So uh, maybe, Karen, to put your audience members, to give them some type of foundation, let me give them a little bit of background so they know what the hell we're talking about. <laughs> okay, I didn't, I didn't finish the bio, but anyway, we'll. No, don't worry that. about the bio. No, worry uh, about the bio. You know, tell, tell us what. It, tell, give us the background. For for your audience members, okay. Here I was in 2012. I was, um, I had gone to Cornell University, which is an Ivy League school for a master's. I went to University of California, Berkeley, which has the most Nobel Prize winners in the world for a PhD, and now I'm an attorney. Uh, of all things, a tax attorney with uh, with the federal government, Department of Treasury. So I've never had any experience. Any Everyone that you would have brought on your show, I would have said certified crazy, certified crazy. You know, I knew nothing about these things. I had zero interest in it, you know, whatsoever. And then we had this experience in March of 2012. And that resulted because of my wife was praying the whole night before because our dog, it was a Jack Russell Terrier, which is a small dog. Uh, she became totally paralyzed and she was 15 years old and she was quite ill by then. Uh, she was like an old lady, 95 year old lady. She couldn't run. She couldn't jump. She was taking all this medication that old people take. She was taking Viagra for her heart, uh, which I used to take a little drop once in a while <laughs> and, and uh, diuretics to flush out the excess liquids in, in her body, you know? And this is what old people take, you know? And so um, so we called our vet uh, because she became totally paralyzed that night about eight o'clock. And then um, we agreed to have her euthanized the next morning at 10 o'clock. Um, and uh, no, in the afternoon, okay? Uh, in the afternoon. And so um, what happened was my wife began to pray all night. OK, and then and I was like, as the good atheist that I was at that time, do all the praying you want. Nothing's going to happen, you know. Uh, but lo and behold, that morning um, uh, we checked the dog out. The dog was still paralyzed. Her name was Nena. Nena means little girl in Spanish. So I went back to bed. She carried the dog down the stairs. And then when she got down the stairs, she saw an object in the living room. And to her, it looked like some type of uh, illusion, optical illusion, whatever. And she was like working on the curtains. Maybe the lights are doing this. And um, and and what it looked like, like um, it was a, a, a silverish object that was large. It was like three feet tall in height, two feet and a half in height. And it was like a half of a circle like like that. And and to this day, she says that there was little people inside that thing. OK, and and so she thought it was her angel. So she began to pray because she had been praying to the Virgin Mary of Mexico. La Virgen de Guadalupe. Right. So she was Ray, 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 come down, come down. And and me was like, you know, oh, bothering me at six o'clock in the morning on, on a Sunday, you know. And so, OK, finally, she comes there. She hauls me out of bed. And so she wouldn't tell me what it was. You'll see, you'll see. But what is it? You'll see, you'll see. And so uh, lo and behold, um, she's in front of me like two or three steps walking down and I'm behind her. And then once she got into the wooden floor, it's like, boom, she disappears. The dog disappears right in front of me. And then all of a sudden, um, my eyes were focused on one little corner of the, the, the living room downstairs. And there I saw an energy being. And now let me describe it to the audience members. It was basically, uh, I guess, a meter. That, uh, uh, if I say three feet, you wouldn't have no idea what I'm talking about. So it was like a meter in width. It was like um, um, half of a meter in, in height. Um, uh, in height. And 
inside was all this energy, multiple colors. Like all the colors in the world were like fluctuating like this. It was semi-transparent, um, translucent. Um, and so that, that's why I call it an energy being, okay? But it wasn't a physical person, humanoid type of, of, of person that people associated uh, with angels or ghosts or spirits and like that. This is like pure energy. And so um, this intelligence totally controlled my mind, okay? I didn't care that my wife disappeared, that the dog disappeared. I'm looking at this thing. And then all of a sudden I did something which for six months, I try to figure out why I did it. Okay. I looked at it. I waved my hand at it and I said, ah, this is BS. Okay. But I didn't say BS. I said the real word in my mind. Okay. It was all in my mind. I was thinking these things and I waved my hand at it and I said, I'm going back to sleep. Okay. So I turned around, I walked back up the stairs. I, I remember putting my hands on my chest like this and boom, I was knocked out. An hour later, when I woke up, I was now fully conscious. I ran down the stairs, okay, and boom, my wife, like, pops back into reality. She looks down, and the dog is running around the entire living room fully healed. And to me, it was like an atom bomb blew up in my mind, and my wife was celebrating. The angels cured her. The angels cured her. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And the dog was running around the entire living room, like, running super fast, you know, like she hadn't done in, like, two years. And then, um, and, and just to, to cut it short after that, then my wife was the first one. She would be praying outside at night and these huge UFOs would appear. Now, what I mean by UFOs, I don't mean like a physical flying saucer. She only saw one time a physical flying saucer. All the other times were different types of very large light configurations, okay? Um, and it, her, it, what, the, the only one she saw that was physical was, was an actual object that was elongated, very, very large. And at the end had like, um, would go in like this, like a V, you know, uh, um, at, at the ends like this. Whoops, no, like this, yeah. And, and these ends had all these colors in it. Um, uh, but then um, um, it was like four different times. And um, uh, in Mexico, it occurred three times when she went down there for to stay with her family. She stayed there a month. So then I decided, uh, let me give it a try. In August, after she had come uh, home and she told me all about what had happened in, in Mexico. And um, I knew that she had this one experience uh, outside her house where that's where that huge object, with, uh, like, like a physical object, appeared to her. So I said, okay, you know, let me give it a try. I was alone outside. I was waiting for a friend of mine. He was going to give me some parking tickets. I was going to do a motion for the court because I'm an attorney. Do him a favor. So he goes to court. Instead of paying 10 parking tickets, he uh, uh, separately, different 10 court dates. I was going to do a motion to consolidate. You go to court one time and you work something out with the deal with the judge. Okay. So, Ray, I got the tickets. Okay. Where are you at? I'm very close. I'll wait for you outside. So I'm waiting for this guy. I'm waiting for this guy. I'm waiting for this guy. And then I remembered the night before I had seen this video of this man named Prophet Yahweh. It was this heavyset black man that he would speak in Hebrew. And uh, all of a sudden, these, these little speck of lights uh, would appear in the sky. But this is the middle of the day. He had a camcorder. And so I remember the one that I saw the video the day before was a, a television studio that had recorded all of this, you know, and I said, what the hell? My wife is calling down UFOs. This guy, Prophet Yahweh is calling down UFO. Let me give it a try, you know, because I want to give it thanks. I want to thank it, you know, for, for healing our dog because our dog was like a family member, right? So in the beginning, I was just killing time. It was like, ah, let's give it a try. 
you know. But then once I got into it, then it became much more emotional. Um, after like 15 minutes, it was like pure love that I was trying to. I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful. My, and then and then I was like our child, you know, our first child. You know, I want to see you. You know, I want to thank you. You know, to to give you my thanks. You know, and and then after 15 minutes, I said to myself, "What a freaking you know what? Okay, uh, calling down a UFO. I'm going insane here. You know, I need to stop this stuff. You know, um, because every every time I was focusing on UFO stuff, right, um, on the internet. And so when I said that, I'm you know I need to stop this crap because I'm going crazy. All of a sudden." this big gigantic object appeared uh and it was like uh 10 meters on top of me and it was huge it went back like i guess i'm trying to like 200 meters like two football fields going back one football field going up but again it wasn't physical it was made up of thousands and thousands of light streaks that formed the whole skeleton the whole shell of of an object and inside was all this white energy swirling around. Okay. So, um, and, and let me tell you how I come, I've arrived at some of my theories. And it, it's arrived via some of the experiences. Okay. Um, one of my, uh, uh, while I was there, all of a sudden I heard my daughter's voice. Daddy, you and mommy have seen UFOs. Next time you see one, you call me. Okay. Now, I had never spoken to my daughter about these things. Never. Okay. So later on, I realized, oh, my God, this intelligence that I'm interacting with has the ability to upload your memory, okay, of you conversing with your daughter. Up there in the computer system, it re-scrambled your daughter's conversations. It put that language, that sentence, Daddy, you and Mommy have seen UFOs. Next time you see one, I want to, you know, call me. I want to see one, too. Then it put that back to me, that sentence. And so it was a telepathic communication of my daughter's voice, which she never said. Okay. And then later on, I realized I said, Oh my God, <laughs> you know, they're able to upload your memories, pick and choose whatever they wanted, these phrases, and download it back to your conscious memory uh, uh, as if she's right next to you. You know, I never had a telepathic communication before. Okay. Mm. So, but while this is happening, okay, you don't put these things together. <laughs> you know, you're just like, my daughter wants to see one. My daughter wants to see one. So I ran out the window. I'm calling her 10 o'clock at night, okay? She opens up the window. What is it, Daddy? Hurry up right outside. There's a UFO out here, okay? Because she was on the second floor. We have a two-story house. So she runs outside. And now this is a cul-de-sac, super quiet, middle-class neighborhood in Miami, super quiet, okay? Nobody was there. So she's, what is it, Daddy? She's looking at it. I said, sweetheart, it's a UFO, but it's in hiding. That's why it doesn't want to appear very, very physical. At least that's what I thought back then. And that's what I told her. We have radar. You know what radar is? Yeah, yeah. Those things that uh, used to detect airplanes in the sky. Yeah, that's right. So it doesn't want to get caught by these radar. That's why it's in, invisible in this cloaking device. At least that's how I thought back then. Okay. So then um, all of a sudden, like 10 minutes or 15 minutes later, after my daughter and I were watching this, in comes my friend. But he doesn't come alone. He comes with his wife and their 17-year-old daughter. So they began to... Right, what the hell is that? I said, you know damn well what it is. No, it can't be, it can't be. So then for the next two minutes, they began to come up with explanations of what it can be. And so after two minutes, which is so sillier, what they were trying to explain, you know, these were, you know, circus lights, you know, uh, that they beam up. 
I said, but wait a second, these lights are not beaming up. These lights are all horizontal and it's going up like, you know, a hundred meters and going back by 200 meters. That's not circus lights. Okay, what's next? Oh, it was the, the cars behind us from the street behind us that were beaming up because it was a clo totally cloudy night. You couldn't see one star. And I said, well, you must have like 10,000 uh, cars behind us because we're seeing like thousands of light streaks, you know? And okay, well, what's the next one? So after like two minutes, I just busted out laughing. Now, to this day, I don't know why I did it, okay? But what happened was I conveyed a message to them telepathically, and it was conveyed in a way like I had been communicating with them for like, you know, all my life, you know? And um, can I cuss in this, uh, on this interview? Okay, I'll give a little cuss, okay? So basically what I thought, okay, this was all by my thought. I said, you better come up with some better bullshit than this because my friends don't believe you. Okay. Then all of a sudden, instantaneously, what I was watching totally disappeared. And now they were replaced by like a hundred large orbs. Okay. Huge orbs the size of like a VW bus, Volkswagen bus for the youngsters who don't know what I'm talking about, a VW bus, but it, uh, uh, the Beetle, uh, that size. Okay. And they were all blinking on and off like this, on and off. It was like a hundred of them inside where that object was previously. And then they would take turns powering up real big, like 10 times the size, the original size of that little orb of that orb, and then powering back down. And then another one, another area would power up and power down, you know. So it was like a totally different display. Okay. And so then my friends stopped trying to explain it because this is not human. You know, you cannot explain what they were watching. And so after like 10 minutes of them watching it, they said, all right, we got to go. You know, we got businesses to run. I said, okay, don't worry about it. I'll do that paper. I'll send it to you, that motion to consolidate tonight or tomorrow, you know, um, and just follow my instructions, you know. And, and, and I didn't even think about, you know, what are you, crazy? Here you're watching once in a lifetime experience. We take a picture of this or a video of this. We'll be on the cover of every newspaper, every magazine around the world. We could sell it for like $100 million, you know. Whatever. The, at least that's what I was thinking back then. You know, uh, now it's like uh, money to me is not important at all. OK. And uh, and you cannot catch these things with a video camera or cell phone. But these things were literally like the, the bottom of that object, as I said before, was like 10 meters above me. I could have gotten a rock and hit it. That's how close this was. But now it's a totally different object. Now it's like a hundred orbs, huge orbs, okay, blinking on and off. Now, let me explain to your audience members how I later on processed that information of what took place, okay? My thesis, which I present in my book, it's not about UFOs, but I go into different aspects of it. I go into near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences, UFOs, uh, excuse me, uh, yeah, UFOs, um, astral travel experiences, uh, which I consider different from out-of-body experiences um, because, uh, depending on what astral realm you go into when your consciousness leaves, it could be either in the 5D where you're still interacting with the earth underneath you or some other physical realm. You know, you could be traveling to the moon, but you're still with something physical of our physical reality uh, versus where you pierce that veil of the fifth dimension and you go into these higher astral dimensions. And now it's like a near-death experience. <laughs> you know, you're going into an infinite number of multidimensional uh, realities. So that's why a lot of people have that confusion. And so what I did is I defined each term to my own specification, not to what is commonly used. And then I describe each of this phenomena. We go into uh, in the book on 
um, on hallucinogens, you know, DMT, LSD, psilocybin, um, and, and, and to demonstrate how those experiences are very similar to the near-death experience. And actually, our book has an article by a professor at one of the major medical schools in the United States who's been testing hallucinogens now for 20 years. And he compares the experience of DMT, psilocybin, and LSD to an NDE experience. Okay? So, um, but anyway, so uh, what I have about the UFO phenomenon was that many many of the major UFO researchers, uh, um, especially Jacques Vallée, he's been totally ostracized from ufology, okay? He mentioned that these things are not ET, you know, from a physical ET planet, that these things are consciousness-based, okay? And um, and uh, also J. Allen Hynek, who's the father of modern ufology, he said the same thing towards the end of his life, not at, not at the very beginning or the middle, but at the very end of his life before he died. So um, what had happened was that it was at that point that I realized uh, uh, these, this was a holographic projection because this thing had the ability, based upon my thought, to change itself instantly, okay, and give me a different projection, similar to when people have near-death experiences, okay, they said uh, they see these people at a ridge, you know, during an NDE, and so, oh, I wish I could be closer so I could see them, you know, and boom, they're right there in front of them, and all those people that were on that ridge, you're on the ridge. Same thing happens in an uh, astral travel experience. You know, you pop out of your body, you're going into these higher realms, and you're like, mother, mom, mom, I want to see you, I want to see you. Boom, your mom is there waiting for you, you know, in very physical form in this astral realm, and you're interacting with her, you know. And so it's the same type of thought patterns where you think of something and boom, it's right there in front of your face, you know, where you're manifesting a reality because it's all consciousness-based. So I had that thought after that experience and not during it because you're not processing information like that, okay? But we can go into that later on, that, 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 that aspect of it. So what had happened was after that, the very next day, um, oh, and the way they got me to leave, okay? They put in my thought that I was being attacked by hundreds of mosquitoes. You know, my friends had already left, which is my daughter and I, and we were like, you know, watching this show, right? And so, um, in, you know, from their perspective, whatever this intelligence perspective is, okay, we did what we had to do. We stimulated him, we triggered him, you know, we gave him enough energy to have like, you know, three and a half years of, of nonstop paranormal experiences, okay? But now he's got to leave. He's not, he's going to be here all night, you know? And so then all of a sudden, I'm being attacked by hundreds of mosquitoes, right? So I'm slapping my arms, I'm slapping my legs because I'm in shorts and a t-shirt in, in human Miami, August, you know? It's like you're in um, where Mary, uh, Mary Rodwell lives, Agnes Water, you know, like a, a tropical area you know, bugs, mosquitoes, and it's hot and humid, you know, and so, and so I grabbed my daughter's hand, I said, come on, let's get out of here, these mosquitoes are killing me, right, so we go up the stairs, and the door was wide open, the dog never went out, and it's one of these little dogs that, that once they hear a voice outside, they're out there ready to kill somebody, you know, the dog never went out, um, um, uh, she, and then I know she heard us, because she was right there at the door, you know, my wife was there, and I began to tell her what happened, she goes, oh, how nice. Like she was like waking up from a trance herself. What I think is they came, they came to do a, a six months uh, medical inspection because my wife was taken, the dog was taken, and it was like, okay, let's do a little medical checkup, <laughs> see how they're doing, you know? And, um, 
uh, but anyway, uh, as I'm telling my wife all of this thing, and then finally I said, we had to go in these, these mosquitoes were killing me. My daughter turns around and goes to me, Daddy, they were no mosquitoes outside. And it was like the hypnotist snapped his finger, like you put somebody in a hypnotic uh, uh, stage, right? And they're in a trance, right? And all of a sudden you say, okay, I'm going to count to three and I'm going to snap my fingers and then you're going to wake up, okay? And it was like the hypnotist counted to three, snapped the finger and all of a sudden I like woke up. I was in a trance. Uh, it was a very light, very, very light. But then I figured out, holy sh sh shoot, okay? What the hell just happened? It's like it finally hit me, you know? So I ran downstairs. I grabbed my, my camera, professional camera, my camcorder. And, but the whole time I had my I, Apple iPhone with me. Everybody had an, I, an iPhone, but, except um, uh, my daughter. She was 10 years old. She didn't have anything. So none of us recorded this. We could have taken a video, zoomed in and see, you know, these auras popping in and out, you know, um, the whole big picture from the very beginning. No one never even entered our minds. Why? Because they don't allow it. Whatever this intelligence is, it does not allow it. Okay, that's plain and simple the bottom line that's why no one has been ever able to get a video or a picture up close of any of these intelligences which are holographic projections and any of these so-called ufos okay um so anyway here we are um i went i ran outside with my camera and uh, my video camera and my my regular camera boom gone nothing was there now the next day the next day Okay, because this thing finished like at, at 11 o'clock at night. It lasted more than an hour. This wasn't like you're just there for like two, you know, one, one minute or two minutes. You're seeing an object in the sky. No, this thing lasted like almost an hour. Okay, us interacting with this. And with me, it was like I was getting information and communicating back uh, during that uh, experience. And um, the very next day, I went on YouTube. Okay, um, and, and in the middle of, of trying to look for UFO videos, boom, this NDE video pops up, okay? And now I had never seen an NDE video. I had no idea what the, what the hell it was. And I said, wow, let me check it out, right? So boom. And it was an experiencer talking about their NDE experience. I was like blown away. And so after that, they had like a the guy's uh, uh, radio show had another NDE. And so I started listening. The whole night I was listening to NDEs, right? And I was like blown away. What did Ray Hernandez do? I ordered 20 used books from Amazon. At first, it was four hours a day, four hours a day. Then it was six hours a day, 20 more books. Then it was eight hours a day, 20 more books. Okay. This lasted uh, four months nonstop. Uh, at the end, it was 12 hours a day during the day. On the weekends, it was like 16 hours a day, nonstop. Uh, mainly near-death experiences, but also books on consciousness studies, okay? On the science of consciousness studies. We're not talking about metaphysics here. We're talking about uh, what scientists and academics have written about what is consciousness. But I would say that was only a third of the books. The other two thirds were NDE-related, okay? Now, for four months, um, I had never told anyone about NDEs, Okay. And then uh, all of a sudden, uh, my wife always brought our daughter to our pediatrician. And she had been going to this new, new pediatrician for like for two years. So for whatever reason, because my wife doesn't work, 
Okay. And so she took the opportunity, you know, cause I didn't want to take time off for my, my job. You know, she always went to the doctor for whatever reason, she couldn't bring my daughter to the pediatrician. So I brought her. Okay. And this was Friday. Okay. I remember it was Friday, like uh, mid morning, 10 o'clock or so. Right. So I brought her there. And then the doctor said, uh, well, we got some good news. We took her temperature. She doesn't have a temperature. I checked her ear, nose, and throat. I couldn't see any irritation, any sign of infection. Maybe it was a flu instead of a bacterial infection. Your daughter's fine, you know? She says, monitor it, blah, blah. Immediately, she was uh, uh, born and raised in Colombia, you know, in Latin America. And so um, I began, and then all of a sudden, a robotic voice came out of my mouth, right? And I said it all in Spanish. It was like, Excuse me, doctor. Have you ever heard of the term near-death experiences? I've just re finished reading approximately 300 books on this topic, and many of them were written by medical doctors such as yourself, and it's a phenomenon that you need to know about. Now, as that was coming out, okay, I was thinking to myself, what the, you know, who was that? I've got another person inside me. My wife had been, had been telling me that I needed to go to a psychiatrist because I was totally consumed 12 hours a day reading these NDE books, seven days a week. I wasn't watching TV. I didn't care about my family. I wasn't showering. I wasn't shaving. I wasn't grooming. You know, it was like total infatuation with this thing, right? So she knew I wasn't well. And now that I realized it, I wasn't well, you know, I was acting like a crazy madman. So all of a sudden I hear another voice inside me. I said, man, on Monday, I need to find out a uh, psychiatrist. I need to make a, an appointment with a psychiatrist because I'm going crazy here. I got another voice talking inside of me, you know? So the doctor's eyeballs pops out like this, right? I said, holy cow. Now this woman thinks I'm crazy. You know, I said, it's all in Spanish. I said, excuse me, doctor. I apologize. I don't know why I said that. And then she looks at me and she goes, there's no need to apologize. How did you know I had one? And then she goes on and tells me her near-death experience with my daughter next to me. My daughter's had three people that she's heard them tell them of their NDE story. And this is, there's a reason for all of this. Um, we'll have a separate discussion on my daughter later on. But anyway, so the, do the doctor then begins to tell of her NDE. It's too lengthy, which I, I won't, um, I don't have time here. Okay. So that was Friday. And I, the, the good atheist materialist rationalist still didn't make the connection between the medical doctor, the very first person I ever mentioned it to, and for the last four months, what had been happening to me. Okay. I, it's like your mind doesn't work that way. Okay. That was in the very beginning of when my experiences were started. Okay. Um, then the next day on Saturday, it was a, um, a social dinner at my wife's Catholic church. She's super Catholic. Okay. And so it was a dinner. Okay. So she sat next to this uh, Mexican lady because my wife is Mexican. And so her husband is, was born in Cuba like I was. So we introduced each other. Oh, oh what age did you come from Cuba? He said, oh, I came from 10 years old. I said, oh, I came when I was five years old. And I, all of a sudden, Excuse me, Max. Have you ever heard of the, of the term near-death experiences? I've just finished reading approximately 300 books. You know, the same exact verbiage, okay? And I was like, I am certified crazy. Two days in a row, this um, man came out of my mind and started talking to someone else. I said, I am crazy. You know, I need to go to a psychiatrist. And all of a sudden, Max is like, like looking like this, you know? And, and, and I said, oh, my God, Max, I, I don't know why I said that. You know, I'm sorry, man. I don't know why I said that. No, no, Ray, there's, there's no need for you to say you're sorry. 
let me tell you a story I've never told anyone, okay? And then he tells me how a year before his mother died in front of him, okay? He was giving her CPR, you know, and she uh, he works at, in a hospital. He's a, a ra radiological technician, you know, so he's had CPR classes for 30 years, you know, and there's not a young guy. There's a guy that was my age. And so um, he was giving her CPR, breathing on her, pumping her, her, her chest while the EMS, emergency services, were coming, okay? So um, finally, she was resuscitated uh, in the hospital. She told him the story that she, like, was was resuscitated in the ambulance, okay? And she came too, right? And then in the hospital, she was telling him, you were crying on top of me. You told me this, you told me that, you told me that. Then all of a sudden, this like big, gigantic black football player, like six foot three, 300 pounds, real, you know, huge man, starts crashing through the door. He runs up to us and he starts, you know, to give me uh, uh, with the breathing and the CPR. And then follow right behind him was a short blonde woman with a blonde ponytail. Like she was very, very short, you know, right behind them. And they were dressed in this particular colors. But mom, how did you know that? Those are the paramedics, you know? Well, I already told you, I was floating on top of you, you know, and I was seeing everything, you know? And then she told him all about her near-death experience. And here's this man, Max, Saturday, the second day, was telling me all these experiences, okay? Now, for all the metaphysical people out there, I had no idea what September um uh december 21st 2012 was you know the mayan calendar and all that stuff i still don't know because i'm not into that stuff okay so um not, not because of i don't believe it it's just i haven't had time to do any research about that okay friday was friday september 21st 2012 the very first day the next day thursday excuse me uh, saturday saturday december 22nd 2012 then I said, holy cow, man, I need to tell this to my father because my father's very, very ill. He's bedridden. He's like 80-something years old. He was like the world's biggest atheist in the world. And I need to tell him this because this deals with preparing for death, you know, for the afterlife and all this and that. And so um, on Sunday, I visited my parents. I visit them every Sunday. And so I told my mother, I said, mom, help me get pop dressed. You know, I need to something very, very important to tell both of you, but especially for, for my father. And so we got him dressed and he had a walker. We helped him on the walker. We went to the outside in the patio. And here I am telling him about Friday, what happened on Friday and what happened on Saturday. I didn't tell him all the UFO stuff and all the paranormal experience that I had up until then. OK, because that was like too much for him to handle. You know, so let me just deal with the NDE stuff. Right. Friday, what happened with the doctor? And yesterday with Max, he goes, ah, that happened to me. I go, what? You know, I was like, what? <laughs> he had the most profound NDE of any book I've ever read, you know, any story in any book, okay? He tells me, remember when I had the open heart surgery like 15 years before? I said, yeah, you know? And um, he said, I popped out of my body. I saw all the doctors, all the nurses. I was looking around. I didn't even recognize that that was me down, down underneath. I was like, I didn't associate with that body. And all of a sudden, a vacuum cleaner sucked them up. Well, what the hell are you talking about? A vacuum cleaner sucked you up. No, it's like a, all of a sudden I went, whoop, I went out and I was like going super fast in this tunnel. And then all these lights were like flickering, you know, because I was going real fast. And um, 
uh, it's like I was going through the stars real fast. And all of a sudden I see a little light, like a bigger, 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 like a bigger, bigger. And all of a sudden it's like this huge light. He goes right into it and he was blinded by the light. He couldn't see anything. And when the lights dissipated, waiting for him, three 30-year-old people, they were all in like prime health. His father, his mother, and his deceased brother. Okay. And then he began to interact with them telepathically. He told me it wasn't by voice. It was like instant communication, you know, like they had a thought. He knew it. He had a thought. They knew it. It was like, boom, 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 boom. You know, this communication back and forth. Then um, he met this huge, gigantic being of light. And the way he described it, he said it was God. Okay. But he said it was this huge energy this huge energy that was like almost blinding. So he couldn't even look directly at it, you know, and, uh, but he knew it was God. And then he said, God then began, he, and then he goes, I was up there 20 or 30 years. I said, what do you mean 20 or 30 years? He says, that's how long it took God to show me all the good things I've done in my life and all the bad things. Okay. I realized immediately that he had a life review because I had uh, read all these NDE books, you know? And so, and the way he described it is that he relived that experience, not only from his body. Let's say, for example, he had a fight with a 13-year-old boy and he was punching the kid on the ground, punching him, punching him. And he also relived it from the body of the 13-year-old boy getting punched simultaneously at the same time. And so all of these experiences that he had after each one, this being that he identified as God, this intelligence, then say, okay, what did you learn from that? You know? And, and then for a lot of these experiences of my father, he was like ashamed, ashamed. He was ashamed for what he had done. And then he tells me, um, God is not there to like judge you. We are the ones that judge yourself. I mean, this is coming from my father, the world's biggest atheist. It was always like, God damn this, God damn that, you know, you know, the type I'm, I'm talking about. Right. And, um, um, and so he says, there's no such thing as hell. Well, what do you mean? There's no such thing as hell because God is pure love. And I'm like, I can't believe this shit is happening. <laughs> you know, my father talking like this to me, you know? And it's like, um, and then I started asking him more questions. He goes, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it, but, but, but that blah, 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 blah. You know, asking him more questions. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. He just shut down, you know? And, um, then I turned to my mother. I said, mom, did he ever talk to you about this before? She said only one time when he woke up out of surgery, he was like, I got to tell you something. I got to tell you something. And she's like, go back to sleep. Go back to sleep. You just had major surgery. Go back to sleep. No, no, God damn it. I need to tell you something. I need to tell you. And he was like, okay, okay. What happened? You know? And he told her that same exact story. And then she goes, okay, okay. Now go back to sleep. Go back to sleep. Because he was coming out of anesthesia, you know? And so after that, they never talked about it for 16 years until that that night you know and she always thought it was anesthesia you know that that it affected him you know and so so anyway uh here i was my father wanted to go to bed back to bed you know he didn't want to deal with that and then i realized you know later that my father after the surgery i always thought that uh, it affected his brain the surgery like a blood or something like that because he would just be watching in front of the tv but he wouldn't be watching tv he'd just be staring out in the air, like for the longest times, you know, and, and now that I look back at it, I said, my God, my father must have been reliving that NDE all of those years. Okay. Because once you have an NDE, it's like very vivid, very fresh in your memory. You know, you can recall all the exact details. So here he was, you know, 
remembering 20 years worth of experiences, you know, and, and what happened up there in whatever this domain is, you know, and, um, and, and it always, it calmed him down. He wasn't that aggressive, hostile person. He was like very mellow and tranquil. Occasionally he would have his outbursts, you know, <laughs> but, but it wasn't, he was the same, wasn't the same person, right? Different. So on my way home, I see some stars, not a lot of stars, but I see some stars because we're, we're in the city, you know? And, um, um, and so I'm looking up at the stars and I put down my windows and for the first time in my life, I spoke with God, okay? And to these, the intelligence that's been interacting with me, which I call modern angels, which are like God's representatives, you know, intermediaries, okay? I call them modern angels. And so I said, I want to thank you because in a four-month period, you had managed to totally transform an atheist, materialist, rationalist into someone that I don't have a belief. I have a knowingness. I know that I'm an eternal spiritual being, and I have that knowingness more than any Catholic priest in Miami. And for that, I want to thank you. Okay? And, um, and that was spontaneous. I didn't even think about it. I just did it, you know? And, and to this day, um, that's how I think, you know, in a very, very spiritual way. And in hindsight, when I reflect upon that experience was in order to do the work that I'm doing, you need to understand the concept of spirituality, that we're all eternal spiritual beings, that we're all part of God, you know, that there is no separation. Okay. And how do you do this to a guy, Ray Hernandez, who for, you know, whatever years I was back then, uh, 55 years old, you know, had never been exposed to any of these things. And but he needs to become spiritual. How do you do it? So they did it that way through these NDE related experiences. And then three days in a row, I have a better chance of winning the big Australian lottery, you know, <laughs> for, you know, becoming a mega millionaire, you know, uh, I have a better chance at that than happening what happened to me, having what happened to me, which is three days in a row. The very first three people you ever mentioned NDEs to all of them had it, you know, that that's not a coincidence. You know, later on with my experiences, they were orchestrated events just like that. Okay. So um, let me like fast forward. Here I am. All of a sudden, I became very, very spiritual. This is at the end of December, December 21st, 22nd, and 23rd. And then all of a, uh, um, all of a sudden, my experiences accelerated. Okay. Paranormal experiences. I began to see like shadow beings, you know, seeing other you know, the, these uh, humanoid you know, figures began to have like these out-of-body experiences, you know, and, um, um, and, and, and like synchronicities, like of, of, uh, of I would meet someone, like you go shopping, right, <laughs> in the big shopping store, and all of a sudden there's this old lady in front of you, I said, holy cow, this woman is like, you felt her energy, you knew that she has had major contact experiences, you know, you never talk to the lady she's in front of you she's going to pay for her groceries and so all of a sudden here's like an announcement on the national Enquirer or something like that you know these british tabloids whatever and it has like a ufo in the outside picture and so i'm looking at it i said what do you think about that you know i said i believe that there's a lot of people that might have seen ufos just to start a conversation right she goes i know they're real i said you know they're real she goes, yes, because I've seen many of them, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, we start talking about and then all of a sudden it goes to like seeing her deceased mother, 
you know, it changes to, you know, that would happen every day of the week, several times a week. You know, uh, the, the guy that was my locksmith, all of a sudden, I knew this guy was a major experiencer. So I had a similar introduction. All of a sudden, this guy is telling me that he sees deceased people all the time. Okay. Uh, and, and lots of other stories, you know, he, uh, he even had, he even called his brother because he told him when, when he was about a teenager, a young teenager, he, his sister and his brother and a whole bunch of friends saw a real unicorn, a life uh, unicorn. All the other horses were dark, you know, brown or, or black and mixed colors. And he was his white horse with a horn in it. Okay. And um, they lived like a, a part of the town that had like a, a still farmland when they were young, part of it. So how do you know it was a real unicorn? You know, it could be a horse running around with a fake horn, you know, he goes, no, because it came right up to us. And we, as, as, as young kids, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, we were like touching it and it was hard. It was real, you know? And so I, I was like, you know, like I've heard a lot of stories, but that's like, mm, you know, so immediately he calls up his brother, you know, and his brother, he puts him on speakerphone. The brother was pissed off at him. He goes, you're bothering me again with that crap. You know, I, I don't want to talk about that again. I don't no, no, this guy, I'm here. I'm fixing his lock. This, he doesn't believe me, blah, blah. Tell him the story. And he goes, no, 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 no. You owe me one. You owe me one. Tell him the story. You owe me one. Remember? Okay. I'll tell the story. And then he repeats the same thing that the locksmith was telling me, you know? And, um, and, and it was like, this happened all the time where I would sense people and you knew that they were a major contact experiencer and without even talking to them. It's like, and then if you shook those, that person's hand or whatever it was, it was like, you would get a lightning bolt, you know, uh, you would get a shock. It was like, holy shit. You know, like I met this one guy, major, major, major experiencer. Um, I mean, he's a medical doctor. It was like a lightning bolt. I never had that with anybody. Later on, it turned out that he's like one of the world's biggest experiencers in the world, but he's always stayed quiet, okay? Always stayed quiet. And he's the only one that uh, talks to. He never talks to anyone else because he's afraid that he's going to lose his license. But this guy's been going out of his body since the age of eight years old, you know? He's had every type of experience, uh, imaginable seeing deceased people, communicating with entities, seeing entities, or, or you know, um, he basically lives out of his body whenever he wants to, you know, he's a medical doc, he's an emergency room physician, you know, and anyway, I'm, I'm jumping the gun here. So here I was during this whole period. And then um, uh, in October, okay, this is, uh, uh, no, it wasn't October. Yes, it was in October before the NDE experience, before the NDE experience, okay. I thought I was going, you know, bonkers, right? So I sent an email to like 10 very famous names because at that point, I still thought it was UFO related, okay? Because I hadn't had my NDE yet. And certainly none of these other experiences, okay? So then um, I had sent an email to 10 people. One of those was Mary Rodwell, okay? And out of those 10 people, only two responded. One was Whitley Strieber and, and the other one, I won't mention the person's name, okay? So... Here, I, um, I uh, fast forward now to May, middle of May, 2013. This is what, five months after that NDE experience, okay? All of a sudden, I got, uh, um, I'm driving to work at 8.30 in the morning. I'm listening to this uh, interview on public radio show of this man that was in Miami 
uh, he was going to film school to learn how to do, you know, documentaries and film and stuff like that. And 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 his uh, thesis for uh, to graduate from a film film school was that he had liposuction, you know, very heavy set man. So he was doing a documentary on his liposuction and the art fat that he was doing from the fat from his body, right? And I was like, I found it fascinating. And I'm listening to the details of this guy's interview. It was like, you know, I was like super into it, you know? Then all of a sudden, I'm not in my car anymore. Now, meanwhile, I was in a traffic jam at 8.30 in the morning, almost like nonstop going to work. Because in Miami, there's like one principal main road that takes you from all the way uh, out west to downtown Miami, right? So it's the middle of a traffic jam. I'm listening to this radio show, boom, all of a sudden. Now, I'm just blind. Everything is all black. There's nothingness, nothing, okay? And all of a sudden, I begin to see things. And I'm inside this huge, gigantic uh, wheel with like a cart with spokes, okay? Similar to what you have, exactly. Except those outer steering wheel, you know, to steer, that wasn't there, okay? I was inside with spokes. And then in each side, inside each of the different spokes, there was a video inside, okay? And I would look at each one, and I would instantaneously know what that was about. I would look at the next one. I would instantaneously know. It was like information being like downloaded you know, uh, to me. And what it was was that uh, this was the contact modalities, all the different ways that humans are piercing the veil of our reality, and they're having contact in different ways via near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences, astral travel, via um, uh, channeling, uh, hallucinogenic journeys, seeing uh, ghosts and spirits and uh, uh, mystical meditation, people that were meditating, all of a sudden they pop out of their body and things of that sort, and um, um, remote viewing. So anyway, I was inside this wheel, but it was huge. It was like gigantic, okay? <laughs> it was going around slowly and each one had a different image, and I was getting these downloads, downloads, right? And um, then all of a sudden, I got this instant communication, and it, was, and it wasn't a voice. It wasn't a voice, okay? It was information, and I want to make that clear. It wasn't a voice. It wasn't like my daughter's voice, like I, I said that time. This is instant information. It was these are all the different ways that humans um, are interacting with us, whatever us is. And at that point, I certainly didn't understand what the hell was going on, okay? These are all the different ways that humans are interacting with us, okay? Humans are studying them as separate and distinct, but in fact, it's all one phenomenon, okay? Now, the glue, that's the word that was communicated to me, the glue that's holding it all together. Humans are calling it consciousness, but in fact, what it is, is the very fabric of our reality okay and so this was happening to me and i was not understanding any of this you know i'm just absorbing it you know and i'm like in amazement you know just digesting it okay and then um all, you know, all of a sudden you get like these information of math and equations and things you know numbers like in the background i've got here zeros and ones you get that like an overlap to all of this you know and then all of a sudden you need to inform humanity of the relationship between us, the spirit world, and consciousness, okay? Now, us, the way I now interpret us to be, meaning the mind of God, you know, the big enchilada, okay? The relationship between us, the spirit world is 
who we are as human beings, you know, um, the, the spirit, the individuated units of consciousness, okay? And when we die, we go back to the spirit world, you know, to the mind of God, okay? So the relationship between us, which is the mind of God, the spirit world, which is us as individuated units of consciousness and how we interact with the universal mind, okay? And consciousness. And consciousness is the whole structure of our reality, okay? And so you need to inform humanity of the relationship between us, the spirit world, and consciousness. Now, while all this is happening, I was totally clueless as to what these things are, okay? Then all of a sudden, is that you're going to need help, okay? First criteria is that um, it's not about making money. You getting rich off of this, becoming a millionaire, like you have so many people in this field that, uh, you know, they have two multi-million dollar homes, you know, and they charge $3,500 to do a CE5 and all you get are desert uh, flies, you know, you know what I'm talking about, or these um, metaphysicians that provide these lectures in the world's biggest uh, conference on these topics, uh, contact in the desert, and, and they get, you know, they sell out a whole auditorium of 5,000 people, you know. But um, and people paying extra seventy dollars extra, you know, to, to go in there for their personal, you know, um, lectures and stuff like that. And meanwhile, Ray Hernandez went to the same conference and he had thirty five people that attended his his lecture. Thirty five people, you know. So it's not about making money, okay, and becoming famous, okay. The second criteria: the people that are going to be helping you, they have to be people with minimal ego, okay minimal ego and when it said that boom i'm back in my car in the middle of a traffic jam listening to this guy doing the the interview on his art fat <laughs> documentary of the art fat and i was like what the you know and i was freaking out i was like remember like <sighs> you know like what the just happened to me you know and um so i immediately called the only person i've been speaking to at that time she was an experiencer only one person I, I, I could talk to. And so I told her, this is what happened to me. She said, well, I've had something similar um, where my consciousness left, you know, left me. And, uh, and I was brought to another reality. And I know other experiences have had this, you know. And, um, uh, but this was, it wasn't like an out-of-body experience. This is like very interactive, you know. <laughs> you're, you're like gone way beyond the filth realm. And you've gone like straight to source, you know. And, um, and, and so... I was still freaking out. So I, uh, when I got to work, I was there maybe half of the day and I wasn't able to do any work. So I said, screw this. I'm going home because my mind is still stuck on this thing, you know? So uh, when I got home, um, uh, I checked my emails later, uh, early evening, um, seven o'clock in the evening, which is like man, Sydney time. It's like seven in the morning or something like that. And all of a sudden I got an email. It was from Mary Rodwell. She was one of those people that I had sent those emails to. And if you interview Mary again, ask her. Ray told me this crazy story. And I don't know whether to believe him or not, but I'm asking you, Mary, did, did this occur? You know? And so the email that she sent me was like, Dear Ray, I'm sorry that I'm responding now to an email that you had sent me six months ago. But it just popped up on my screen today. Okay? And, and I apologize for that, blah, blah, blah. And I'm here to help you, you know, and anytime you want to talk. So anyway, I got that email and I sent her an email back and I said, well, this is all the crazy stuff that's happened in those six months 
since um, I sent you that email. And this is what happened today. And so she saw me as having all these crazy experiences. And she said, my God, I need to talk to this guy, right? So she sent me an email back, Ray, uh, let's use uh, Skype. It was Skype. Uh, for, I had no idea what Skype was, okay? Uh, uh, I didn't even know about Zoom until years later. So she showed me how to use Skype, how to download it. And then later on, we, we spoke. And we, we, we spoke until like 1.30 a.m., you know, Miami time, which is, you know, about 1.30 in the afternoon, her time. And so at that point, you know, I said, look, Mary, I got to go to work tomorrow, you know. And she said, oh, no, I need to continue talking to you. I was unbelievable. Your experience is blah, 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 you know. And so I said, okay, you know. And so we agreed to keep on talking, right. And then uh, I said, Mary, have you ever had a case where all of a sudden your email was held up in cyberspace for six months? And, and today, the day of this experience, it just, boom, went right in front of your computer. Ray, um, it's never happened before. I said, well, how do you explain this, Mary? How do you explain this? He goes, Ray, by now you ought to know what the hell has happened, you know, that this is all being orchestrated, is being programmed, you know. Now, back then, I wasn't thinking like that. But it was Mary that introduced these topics to me. Okay. So, so okay. So I finished speaking with Mary. So um, I only go to the office one day a week. Okay. Like a lot of people that, that tele, the telework, you know. And so the other time I'm, I'm at my house. Right. And so here I am that day. I stayed home. Right. And all of a sudden I get a telephone call at 930 in the morning. Right. Hello. Is this Ray Hernandez? Yes. Who's this? Dr. Rudy Shields. Who? Dr. Rudy Shields is an emeritus professor of astrophysics from Harvard University. He had worked at Harvard as a professor of astrophysics, a researcher, astronomer, for over 45 years. One of the world's leading experts on black holes. He had mentioned in his publications that uh, Stephen Hawking was completely wrong about black holes. Three years after he published that, Stephen Hawking came out with new publications. Mia culpa, mia culpa. I was wrong about black holes. This is what I now believe, okay? And because Rudy had said he was all wrong about it, you know? Uh, and this was a heavy-duty mathematics and physics papers that Rudy was writing. So here was this guy who had no idea who he was calling me at 9.30 in the morning. What happened was that Mary Rodwell had been working with Rudy for several years because Rudy... Uh, had worked very closely with the late uh, um, Harvard uh, professor of psychiatry, Dr. John Mack. He had been working with experiencers, UFO contact experiencers, and he continued doing that work. He was the one that introduced to Dr. John Mack the whole concept of multidimensional realities. And Mack already knew about, you know, consciousness and that aspect of it. So Rudy gave him, you know, from the physics perspective, you know, uh, how do the physicists think about it? And, and basically, all of the early quantum physicists, they all believed that consciousness was fundamental, you know, all of them, the early quantum physicists. And so Rudy then um, uh, worked with Mary, uh, when Mary would identify someone who had downloads of advanced physics or consciousness-related type of questions, Rudy would interview that person, <clears throat> would interview that person. And, and Rudy worked very closely with Edgar Mitchell. I didn't know that at that time. And so what had happened was that Mary had sent me an email and said, look, Ray, um, I want you to talk to this professor from Harvard that I've been working with for a couple of years, and he wants to ask you a few questions. But uh, uh, let me know, give me the permission, and I'll give him the green light. What happened was that Rudy was told to wait until Mary gave him the green light 
So, so he jumped the gun, right? So here I am, you know, he identified himself. It was, can I talk to you? I said, sure, you know, you're a friend of Mary, of course, you know. And he began to tell me his whole relationship with uh, the late professor John Mack, um, his interest in this topics. He was one of the few academics that actually defended Dr. John, uh, John Mack at Harvard because they were going to kick him out. He was a tenured professor at the medical school. And they wanted to kick him out because he had been working with UFO uh, objectees and contactees, you know. And so um, then he told me how Dr. John Mack over the years, how he had his own clients instead of people referred to him by Bud Hopkins. He came up with a totally different viewpoint that he had originally about the phenomenon, that these were basically consciousness based experiences. They were both very, very physical, very, very real, but also psyche and paranormal in nature. Okay. And then he starts telling me all of that. And then he says, Ray, what you had, your experience was that you were shown Dr. Edgar Mitchell's quantum hologram theory of consciousness. Right. Then he goes on to explain the details of that. Now, meanwhile, I didn't understand any of this stuff. You know, I didn't, I wasn't interacting. I was like, this guy's a madman, you know, calling me up to, to talk about these things. You know, these are all you know, crazy experiences. And there's another crazy madman, you know? He says, Ray, you need to talk to Edgar Mitchell, right? And uh, he says, um, I volunteered to be your scientific advisor because you were given a mission. And I was like, what mission? You know, Ray, you were told specifically what you needed to do. So I'm here to give my services, you know, to help you out as, as a scientific advisor. And so he gave me Edgar Mitchell's telephone number. He told me to call him up. And I was like... You know, I knew Edgar Mitchell, his name, because I'd written all these UFO books and Edgar was very, very famous, you know, and also the consciousness research. Edgar was the one that started the Institute of Noetic Sciences, which is now the world's leading academic research institute that has studied the psi phenomenon. OK, and um, so Edgar started that organization in 1972. And later on, I found out that he had written this monstrous 700 page book on basically all of the contact modalities. The only two topics that were not mentioned then was uh, about near-death experiences because Raymond Moody came up with that term in 1975. And Edgar's book was published in 1974. And in terms of uh, UFO ex experiences, he said in the forward to that book, the introduction to it, he said, the only reason I don't mention the UFO phenomenon here is that because there's zero academic research on it. OK, we're only talking about what we have academic research on. And, you know, he wrote uh, he wrote about you know, out of body experiences, astral travel experiences, lucid dreams, uh, you know, all of the paranormal, you know, except those two topics. So uh, but I didn't know back then, uh, you know, what I knew now. OK, so anyway, he was a very, very famous man. I basically knew him through the UFO stuff. Right? So I gave him a call. It was like four hours later, it was like late afternoon. And he says, oh, uh, oh, I was waiting for your phone call, Ray. And immediately I said, this guy's got ESP or what? No, no, he, he says, um, no, Rudy and I just had a very lengthy conversation about you. And he says, you're someone that's very important that I need to talk to. And so I would like to invite you to my home. Now, his house is only 90 minutes away in Lake Worth, Florida. Now, mind you, Edgar died in, in February of 2018. This now was May of 2013, right? So um, um, he says, how about 10 o'clock? Is that a good time for you to get here? I said, that's fine. So I took the day off from work. I was at his house and um, 
And I got there at 10 o'clock and I spent there like six hours. And for like the first five hours, we didn't even talk about my experiences or anything like that. He was just telling me about his life, you know, every detail, every damn detail of his life. <laughs> uh, uh, and later on, I realized he was doing all of this to make me feel comfortable, you know, and um, and he told me everything about I won't go into the details, but we can have another show about what Edgar Mitchell told me. And then um, he uh, he says, OK, right. You know, tell me about what's been happening to you. Later on, I realized that Edgar had been speaking with hundreds of experiencers you know, near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences, astral travel experiences, mystical meditators, energy healers. He told me that he was cured of two types of cancers, okay? One was um, um, cancer in his prostate, and another one was a tumor, uh, one of his organs. And he had worked with an energy healer, okay? And these were all like in x-rays that were detectable, that sort of thing, you know? Completely gone, you know? So Edgar knew the power of the mind to self-heal, you know? And um, so anyway, uh, after the end of it all, he begins to explain his theory of consciousness, okay? And he goes into the details. And then uh, towards the end of it all, he says, uh, Ray, you were given a clear mandate of what you needed to do. And, I, and in my head, I was like, he's another crazy madman. You know, I, I just didn't understand it at that point, you know? Uh, and, and I already spoke with Rudy. We discussed it at length. He and I will be your scientific advisors for what you have to do, okay? And he said, I also have a group of PhD physicists, very large group. He mentioned some of the names, some of the universities, and some of the work that they had done. He says, I can make them available to us. And it was an organization called Quantrek, which doesn't exist. It was like about in 2015, he, he disbanded it, or 2016. And um, so, you know, when I left his house, I, I, I told him, I said, Edgar, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. I have no idea. He says, don't worry about it. It'll come to you. It always works that way. And I'm like, this man is certified insane. Look at the way he's talking, you know. And I just I hadn't gotten it then, then, you know. And so anyway, I go home. I said, these two crazy madmen, you know. Um, uh, want to help me out. They told me I have a mandate, I have a mission, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. I have no idea what they're talking about, you know? And then all of a sudden, I woke up, it was a Saturday morning. That same week, okay, it was like four days after my experience. I woke up on a Saturday morning and all of a sudden, all this information was inside of me, okay? Since all of these experiences are all interrelated, I need, I need to be able to study what is the nature of all of these experiences, you know, via the topic of consciousness, how they're interrelated. But since many of my experiences involve the topic of UFOs, okay, me being in, uh, with an academic background, I had done what is called an academic literature review of what has been written about UFO contact experiences. And what I discovered was almost nothing, you know, nothing. We knew nothing about that academically. We had thousands of different books. They were all very, very different, all uniquely, you know, uh, unique to the individual. There was really very minimal commonality to, to a lot of these experiences and certainly no data. Okay. 
So how are we going to be able to compare the topic of you people have had UFO contact to the people of near-death experiences? There's tons of, of, of data by all these medical doctors, all these researchers at ma major universities, okay? Um, and then certainly there's other areas that have been studied for a very, very long time, remote viewing that has been studied since 1972 <clears throat> with the Stanford Research Institute, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> the whole topic of ghosts and spirits, um, there have been a lot of academic research on it since the late 1800s in the UK with the uh, Society for Psychical Research, you know, William James, uh, um, a lot of uh, very prominent scientists and academics in England started, you know, systematically doing research of people that were having uh, mediumship experiences and people that have seen ghosts and spirits, et cetera. So, so the lot has been written up about that, you know, from an academic perspective, but there's nothing about UFOs. So all of a sudden, what I woke up with was a very detailed specific plan of how to study UFO contact experiences, okay? So I, I find, I wrote it up, it was seven pages, very, very detailed, the whole methodology of how to do all this, right? So I sent it to Mary Rodwell, I sent it to Edgar Mitchell, I sent it to Rudy Shields, and then it's like, I knew exactly what I needed to do and why. Because if we're going to try to study how all of these things are interrelated, we need to get data about what is happening with the UFO contact phenomenon. So I sent it to each of them, they, and all three of them, like uh, Mary Rodwell with her British background, she goes, brilliant, absolutely brilliant, you know, <laughs> trying to imitate her voice, you know? And, and Rudy was like, wow, you know, this is unbelievable, right? This is fantastic, and Edgar too. So then um, Edgar had told me when I was up at his house, he says, Ray, you need to form an organization to be able to help you to put all these pieces together. So I called up uh, Edgar, I called up Rudy, and I called up uh, Mary on Skype. And I said, look, I propose that the four of us get together and we form an organization. Okay? But I've got no name for it. It was like two or three days later, Mary came up with the name Free. F-R-E-E. -E. Okay? And so then um, we had an organization. And then all of a sudden, Mary um, put out feelers to see who might be interested and this is to do academic research, okay? Edgar Mitchell got some folks, Rudy Shields got some folks. And we then uh, had a team of like maybe 10 PhD academics and like about eight people that were not PhDs, but these are people that had worked with UFO contact experiences. People like um, uh, Barbara Lamb, uh, Dr. Leo Sprinkle, Kathleen Martin, um, yeah, you know, all, all, each of those people with Mary, each of them had been working for at least 30 years with contactees and abductees, okay? And so uh, we spent literally nine months developing a whole methodology of how we're gonna be doing this, expanding upon what I wrote with actual questions, okay? So we wound up with uh, two quantitative surveys and one qualitative survey. For the quantitative survey, we had almost 600 questions. And for the qualitative survey instrument, we had 70 open-ended questions. And so, um, and again, we approached it not from a nuts and bolts perspective, but we, we asked all questions about that, you know, about the whole abduction phenomenon, about being inside a craft and you know, all the physicalist stuff. But two thirds of it were non-physical, you know, were conscious and based aspect of it, you know, going out of your body, being brought to other realities, the whole range of paranormal experiences, seeing orbs and seeing deceased people, you know, tons of stuff 
associated with that aspect of the phenomena. And we knew what to ask because you had all these researchers, like people like Mary, Barbara Lamb, Kathleen Martin, Leo Sprinkle, et cetera, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, who studied the paranormal, John Klimo, a professor for over 45 years. What did he specialize in? Consciousness and the paranormal. Okay. And so, um, so we all got together, we developed this big, gigantic uh, survey, three surveys, and we began to um, uh, decipher it on radio shows. Uh, I would say half the people on, on the free board of directors had their own radio show or appeared very frequently on radio shows. So in the radio shows, they began to talk about it, you know, and uh, we also had a mailing list of over 5,000 names that was sent out to this huge mailing list. And then they in turn sent it out to other people. So what ha happened was that we had uh, 4,300 people that responded to our surveys from over 100, 100 countries all over the world, okay? And then we had uh, one PhD statistician that worked with us as well to crunch out the data and the numbers and the figures. And what we found out um, was that what is circulating in mainstream materialist ufology is a whole bunch of bullshit, okay? The actual phenomena is primarily a, um, a psyche paranormal experience. While people do see UFOs, while they do have physical experience, they see a physical being, et cetera, et cetera, okay? It was like 75% of their experiences or more, it was like 90% of their experiences were in the paranormal box, Okay, and it seems like these experiences trigger a whole range of paranormal experiences. Okay, same thing like a near death experience. Once you have a near death experience, all of a sudden you're seeing dead people, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, we wrote all that up, and for your audience members, okay, you see how thick this book is 820 pages. Okay. This is the title of our book, Beyond UFOs, The Science of Consciousness and Contact with Non-Human Intelligence, okay? Now, um, this book here, I can give to all your audience members, volume one, which is an analysis of the quantitative survey, uh, excuse me, chapter one, chapter two, which, which is an analysis of the qualitative survey. This is the open-ended questions. That alone is 300 pages filled with data and charts and, and bar graphs and, and pie charts, uh, you know, data, 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 <laughs> bar graphs, pie charts, like, you know, stuff like this, you know? So this is not just, you know, bullshit stuff. This is what 4,300 people all over the world have told us. <clears throat> and the statistician compiled all the data from the people that lived in the UK, people that lived in Europe, all the people that lived in the United States, all the people that lived in Canada, and then he grouped Australia and New Zealand together. And so we had five different geographic groups. And then he looked at how people answered all of these questions. And there was like less than a 10% deviation of how they answered the question. That means they were responding exactly the same way, no matter where they lived to the question. Okay. They were having the same experiences. Okay. And, um, and as I said before, you know, um, uh, the data um, totally contradicts what people think you, you, ufology is all about, okay? And I can give you those chapters, including a chapter on medical healings. Uh, that's chapter six from our book. And uh, we had 50% of the people that had a medical healing 
And so um, I'll send you those three chapters and another chapter for free. It's like half of our book. Send me an email to info at a greater reality.com info at a greater reality.com and i'll send you all those chapters basically half of this book for free okay you don't have to pay a dime you don't have to go to kindle to read the book you don't have to order this big fat book you know i'll give you all that information for free okay so here we were we what we are now in 2018 we published that book uh edgar mitchell um died um in 2016 in February of 2016, a few years before. So he didn't get a chance to write a chapter for the book or to see it finally publicized, okay? Um, so then at that point, it was way be before that date, uh, while we actually were working on this book, I always saw the vision of expanding it, not just the UFOs, but to the big picture, the whole enchilada. <laughs> what the hell is all this about, okay? Um, and so... I knew that I, uh, in order to get any credibility, you had to have academics, medical doctors, and PhD academics. But then you also had to have the experiencer side as well. Okay, so what I came up at that time is okay. We need to have articles about near near death experiences, about the survival of consciousness after death. We have to have articles about uh, out of body experiences, astral travel experiences. We need to have articles about remote viewing and something, uh, and Edgar Mitchell's The Quantum Hologram Theory of Consciousness. We have to have articles about what is consciousness, that consciousness is fundamental. We have to uh, have articles on UFOs, you know, whatever. And so, um, so what, I, what I started doing um, way back when was that um, I started to talk to a lot of people. Um, this is, well, in 2013, a long time ago. Once we, I, I was put in contact with all of these other academics and these uh, brilliant people on consciousness, right? Uh, I won't mention names, but there are a lot, a lot of famous names in parapsychology, or, or most of them. And, and so I would ask them, I said, do you believe that consciousness is primary? All of them was like, yes, consciousness is primary. Our reality is not real. That's not our, it's an illusion, basically. Okay. Okay, that's fine. Okay. How about all of the paranormal contact modalities, they didn't know what that term was. I, I used that term and I defined it, that all of the paranormal is one integrated phenomenon. Yes, because consciousness is primary. So I said, okay, fantastic. Where's the book? I want to read it that discusses that. The book doesn't exist. No one has ever written about it. I said, you got to be kidding me. Okay. No. Well, at least an article, an academic article. No, the academic article doesn't exist. But wait a second, you're, this is the big enchilada, the big picture, and you're telling me no one has written a book about it? No one has written an academic article about it? No. And it was at that point that I said, it doesn't exist. I need to be the one that puts it together, okay? Because I myself was tossing all these concepts in, in my, my, my brain, my consciousness, you know? How is all, what is the nature of our reality, Okay. And as I told you before, Edgar had written this book back in 1974 uh, titled Psychic Exploration. Okay. It's still, uh, they still have used copies available on Amazon. You could, if someone is really interested, they can get that. And then, as I said before, it was like an initial attempt to put it all this together, but 
it really did not, um, that wasn't the main purpose of it. It was just like, here, there's all this paranormal stuff out there. And we have articles about each of these paranormal experiences. And that's it. It really wasn't uh, um, uh, talking about consciousness as being fundamental and having that overlap everything else. So I knew back then that this thing needed to be done. But I was still busy with um, the beyond UFOs, the UFO contact experience or research. So it was about maybe 2016, 2017 that I became a little bit more serious about it. Um, I started to talk to other folks. And then in 2018, then I began to reach out to all these folks once this book was published, the Beyond UFOs book. And, um, and then I began to uh, talk to people, see if they would be interested in collaborating on a book. Okay. And so what had happened was that uh, I finally got to get four co-editors uh, for the book. I was the fifth co-editor. And, uh, but I was basically leading the orchestra. I was, you know, dictating everything. But the other four co-editors were the two co-editors editors for Beyond UFOs, which was Dr. Rudy Shield from Harvard and Dr. John Klimo, this uh, PhD academic professor in psychology for over 45 years. And then what we added was this other professor of uh, philosophy. His name is Michael Grosso. Uh, Michael Grosso uh, was a close friend of Dr. Kenneth Ring. Kenneth Ring was one of the pioneers on near-death experience research. And he had published his book back in 1992, which was like, blew me away. In that 1992 book was titled um, The Omega Project. And what he did in that book is that he compared 85 people had near-death experiences with 85 people who had an abduction experience. And he asked them tons of questions. One of the areas that he focused on was how do these people change? Like 70 questions. And what he came up with, the data was that both of these people changed exactly the same way. They're not materialistic anymore. They no longer feared death. They became much, much more spiritual, much more ecologically aware ecologically concerned that we're destroying our planet uh they became much more loving okay much more caring so for all of these questions that he asked these two people changed exactly the same way they were changing into a new human being and so he wrote about that in his book and there was a whole bunch of other questions okay but basically after you've had each of these experiences it's like you totally evolve like you start off as a bug as a caterpillar and all of a sudden, as you're going through these transformations, you change it to a butterfly, <laughs> you know, and that's exactly the same way I did. And like the hundreds of people that I had spoken with, you know, after they were having UFO related contact experiences and all the people that had near death experiences from all those books that I read. And so um, I remember in that book it was back in 1992, Kenneth Ring talks to introduce this concept called the mind of God that these experiences might be psyche paranormal experiences. And it talks about the universal mind of God. It, it, but Kenneth Ring was not a major researcher on idealism, you know, that consciousness is fundamental and all this stuff. That was where this guy Michael Grosso came about, okay? Because he's been talking about that for, he's like 75 years old. As a matter of fact, today I had a very lengthy conversation with him, <laughs> with Michael Grosso. So um, what I did is... Um, I invited him into this new organization called the Consciousness and Contact Research Institute, together with Rudy Shields, um, John Klimo, and all of these PhD academics that are in our book. 
And I said, would you like to be a part of this group that's focusing on the relationship between consciousness, the nature of our reality, and all of the paranormal? These are all people that view all the paranormal as one integrated phenomenon. Okay, And they also have an understanding that consciousness is fundamental. And they knew of each other. They knew of each other's works, but some of them only spoke to each other maybe once or twice or at a conference. And, you know, and some of them never even knew of each other, you know. And, and, and yet these are all brilliant minds that had the same concepts. Okay. And so um, we started having these meetings uh, in starting in 2018. So towards the end of it, you know, I began to call each of these people and said, look, would you write, like to write an article for a book that I'm planning to, to co-edit? And then I invited Rudy and John Klimo and uh, Dr. Michael Grosso to be co-editors because it gave them legit. It gives it legitimacy because if it's just Ray Hernandez editing a book, no one's going to pay attention to it. Nobody cares. Okay, but if it's Ray Hernandez and four other, uh, oh, I forgot the fifth person, Dr. Jeffrey Long, one of the world's leading experts on near-death experiences. He's written two books on NDEs. He's had this uh, survey instrument on NDEs and OBEs for almost twenty years on his website. And so he had been participating in all of our group conference calls. And so I invited him to be a co-editor and he said, yes. So I then solicited, um, my idea was always to do two big gigantic volumes uh, that were theoretical in nature. Like this book here, you know, behind your folds, you see how thick that is. I want to have two books like this, but based upon theory. Okay. And I also wanted two books like this or three that were articles from experiencers. But I didn't just want any old experiencer here. I wanted experiencers that had many of the contact modalities. For example, there's a medical doctor. She's had uh, Melinda Greer. I could talk about her because she's now retired. And she published an article in her book. Okay, She's had two near-death experiences. She's seen 12 UFOs, most of them huge and up close. Okay, uh, She's seen numerous types of beings, Okay, including three encounters with Sashwash. Two of them were up close Sasquatch experiences, okay? She's had all these astral travel experiences that were teaching lessons throughout all of her youth since she can remember as a child up until the age of like 11 or 12 years old, okay? And they were teaching instruments. They were bringing to other realities and teach her things. Uh, let me give you an example. Um, she had um, uh, two friends in second grade that they wanted to play with girls. They acted like girls, but they were boys. So she told her mother, said, Mom, I got these two kids in my class. Uh, one was in her class. The other one's in another, the same grade, second grade, but another second grade uh, that act like girls. They want to play with dolls. They want to play with the girls. They act like girls, but they're boys. You know, what's going on here? So she talked to her mother. Her mother gave her an explanation. She wasn't satisfied with it. Okay. That evening, she popped out of her body. She went into this um, metropolis, like a major city. Now, mind you, this is a country girl. She has no idea what a city is, what a skyscraper is. Anyway, she was inside a big city with the, all these huge skyscrapers. She go inside one of these big buildings right there on the first floor, and she makes a right-hand turn. She goes into this office, and there was this elegantly dressed man, like a model, okay? He's just behind this modern table, um, and she describes it in detail. She, he said, uh, Melinda, please come in. You know, have a seat. You know, so she sat in front of him, and um, she remembers her leg dangling. Because she was, she was still, you know, uh, 10 years old, right? So the, he then says, Melinda, how much do you love your mother? Oh, my mom? Oh, my God, I love my mother. You know, oh, my God, my, uh, the love I have for my mother, I can't even describe. He says, well, you know that love that you have for your mother? 
I have that same love, but for another man. You see, love is, is not bound by sexes, by races, by religion and stuff like that. And then he goes on to tell her about love, you know, the importance of love, you know. And then all of a sudden, it's like she woke up and she had the answer to her question that she had asked her mom. Why do all these two boys, you know, act like girls and, and want to be like girls? And, and what they were saying was that some of them basically were more effeminate, okay? And that they naturally attracted to other men, you know? And, uh, and, 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 and but it was based upon the concept of love, you know? And, and it was like a teaching lesson. Another time was these, uh, uh, these bank robbers she saw on TV go into a bank, they robbed the bank and they killed the guard, right? She was asking her mother, how did that, they could just kill a stranger, a guard, you know? How could that happen? How could someone be like that? You know, how could they do this? You know, she talked to her mother, the mother didn't give her a reasonable explanation, right? So later that night, okay, she pops out of her body and her consciousness is inside the getaway car of the bank robber. She was on the passenger side. She was watching this man, okay? driving away then all of a sudden her mind got into his con his consciousness she was reading his thoughts and his thoughts was like i'm never going back to that jail i'm never going back to that jail they raped me they violated me they would beat me up every day i'm never going to have that again if i got to kill somebody i'll do it but i'm never going to go back to that jail right like she went into the guy's mind and tapped into all his memories and downloaded it to her and so when she woke up, she was like, she knew why that guy did that. Why? Because he had gotten into his mind. So it was like every night was like a lesson like this. Okay. So um, after she had her second NDE, she, in her article, she primarily writes about her second NDE, but she's had everything in the kitchen sink. After her second NDE, she began to see deceased people in her hospital. Okay. Uh, these people are walking out around in hospital garbs that would like go right into the elevator and the elevator was closed, you know, would disappear. Uh, this person would go right up to her. She would like move aside and the nurse too, because the woman didn't even see them, went right between them. And then they like turn around and the woman is not there anymore. You know, it's like tons of these experiences she would have. And um, uh, so it was, we got many articles like that by people like Dr. Melinda Greer. They've haven't had just NDEs. They've had out of body experiences. They've seen the deceased. They've gotten out of body, you know, et cetera, et cetera, <clears throat> to show that all of these experiences are all one. They're all interrelated. Okay, so um, so then I began to solicit these articles from these diversified groups from both the academics and medical doctors and the consciousness scholars, and from the experiencers. And so uh, today I just finished the first two volumes for the, the theoretical volumes, main, main, mainly the academics and, uh, and uh, medical doctors. Now, there's some people that are not, you know, they're just researchers, you know, very brilliant people that they might have a master's degree in, in, in theology or a master's degree in something else, whatever, but they're not professors, you know, but they're brilliant, you know, and they've written wonderful articles. So the, that's the volume one and volume two. Each of these are going to be 820 pages. So right there between volume one and volume two is 1,600 pages, okay? And um, maybe if you let me share the screen, I could take you to our website that has some of the names there and some of the, the articles that they wrote for us. Can I do that now? As you can see, this is it's still under development. He's worked a lot on the website, but this is just like a draft, uh, um, and that's Dr. Rudy Shields, the professor from Harvard, one of the co-editors, uh, Dr. Jeffrey Long, the medical doctor, uh, NDE researcher, 
John Klimo, professor for over 45 years, Michael Grosso, professor, a PhD from Columbia University. His focus is on consciousness, uh, philosophy of the mind. And, he, and he's also an experiencer. He's had, uh, like, like I had, these huge, gigantic orbs, UFOs, dancing on top of a local Catholic church while he was listening to John Coltrane, a song titled The, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and there was three gigantic orbs topping, jumping on top of the local Catholic church in Manhattan, okay? So he, he's a, an experiencer as well. And this is myself. And this is the cover of our book is titled The Greater Reality, The New Paradigm of Non-Local Consciousness, the Paranormal, and the Contact Modalities. In about 10 days, it'll be on Amazon. But as you can see here, here you have all of these paranormal experiences and all these contact modalities being sucked into a black hole. Yeah. And there's, there's specific reasons for that. I won't go into the details of it, but, but basically in the black hole, space-time dissolves, you know? Uh, what we understand to be space-time. So here you have NDEs, OBEs, UFOs, and spirits. And um, now, I won't go into these. Uh, how much time do we have on the, on the interview? <laughs> oh, oh, well, we're recording this, so we've got as much time as you want to give us. Okay. But let, let me ask you, uh, are you... But, 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 are but, you... But before you get into your question, these are some of the authors here, okay? As I said, most of these are academics. Uh, Julia Sellers wrote a, a literature review on out-of-body experiences, okay? And she herself goes out of her body and her husband. This is Dr. Melinda Greer right here, the medical doctor, okay? Mm -hmm. um, this is uh, Sharon Hollett, a professor from New York University, PhD in philosophy. She wrote, uh, she was one of the winners for the Bob Bigelow Consciousness Prize on the survival of, of the afterlife. And she wrote a, a, an article that was over 50 pages on the survival of consciousness. I mean, I can go into all of these details, but, you know, you can see it's quite a, here's Mary right here. Mm -hmm. Where's Mary? I saw her a little while ago. She's over there in her pink jacket. Oh, there, there is beautiful mm -hmm. pink jacket. Okay. Mm -hmm. And these are the different volumes. Uh, Jeffrey Kripal, for example, is a professor of religion at Rice University, uh, one of the major academic institutes in the United States. It's like a little Harvard. It's impossible to get in there to that school, okay? And he's been—he's uh, now the the dean of humanities at Rice University. He wrote the prologue for our book. Why? Because he's written lots of books about consciousness and the paranormal. And these are all the article topic and the different uh, uh, individuals. Um, as you can see, you know, PhD, PhD, PhD. Uh, there's no PhD there. PhD. Uh, you see all, all these names, many of them are well known in the NDE field. We have Raymond Moody, we have Jeffrey Long, Bruce Grayson, one of the pioneers on near-death research, et cetera, et cetera. And so these are not just uh, anyone off the streets that's doing this. This is a, you know, highly theoretical academic structure, but the articles that are here are articles that are written for the layperson. Uh, you don't have to be a PhD academic to understand this. For example, for UFOs, look at all the different authors we have in chapters on UFOs. And all of these here are not materialist chapters. They're all consciousness-based chapters, mm -hmm. okay, about the UFO phenomena. So, Ray, and, this, and, is, yeah. this is in the bigger book, the book that you've got out, The Mind of God. Okay, that... now, the, the Mind of God, yeah. Let, let me uh, go into The Mind of God, and let me uh, stop sharing. Thanks for listening and watching. I've split this up into two sections. So this is the end of part one. Ray and I spoke for 
almost three hours as he shared so passionately about the work, the intense and immense work that he's done to expand our understanding of consciousness and who we are in this world and what's possible, our human potential. So stay tuned for part two, all about his book, The Mind of God, which is why we came together to talk today. But we're going to put that into part two. It's a fascinating listen. Thanks again for listening and watching.